You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. A number of years ago, when I was in seminary, I was told a story. Um, I was told that it was true. Um, it could be urban legend, but that's okay. It's still a good story. The story goes like this, is that there was a number of seminaries in a region of the country, and they decided to have a preaching contest. And what they would do is each seminary would invite guys to preach, and then they would pick the best one from that seminary, and then each seminary would send that one guy to a central location, and they would preach that same sermon. And whoever wins, would probably get something like, was getting something like um, tuition for a semester, something like that, which can be highly motivating, by the way. And, uh, but the, the thing was, is they were all assigned the same text. Everybody had to preach the same text. And the text was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know the story. It's a very well-known story. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a guy traveling uh, from one city to the next, and some robbers waylay him, and he, they beat him up, and they rob him, and they leave him for half dead, and And then along comes a priest, and he walks by on the other side, we're told, and ignores the man and keeps going. And we're told a Levite walks by the man and goes by and goes on his his own way. And and then a Samaritan, who in the point of the story that we kind of lose is that they were enemies of the Jews, culturally and otherwise. But he sees the Jew beat up and half dead, and he stops and risks being robbed himself, and takes care of the man. Not only takes care of the man, but puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, puts him up, and tells the innkeeper, I'll cover any charges you have for him. And uh, so they, they were preaching on that text. So the seminaries had it. The guys signed up. They preached in their seminaries. The seminary selected the best preacher. They went to the central location on the given day. And they were told... The wait in this room. So you aren't listening to somebody else preach. We want you to wait in this building. And then when it's your time, somebody will tell you, and you go out this door, you walk down a sidewalk, and in that door, and you'll be in the auditorium, and you'll preach your sermon. So one at a time, the men were told to walk down, go to the, down the sidewalk. But what the uh, originators, organizers of this te- contest did, though, is they put somebody on the sidewalk. They put a man who looked beaten up and bloody and obviously been robbed, and he was lying across the sidewalk, and he was moaning and groaning. And to the man, each seminarian walked down the sidewalk and either walked around him or stepped over him to go preach their sermon. And as they entered the auditorium, they were met with, an empty auditorium. There was nobody there to hear their sermon. Why? Because the contest wasn't about preaching the sermon. The contest was really about, do you believe and live the sermons that you preach? We are faced all the time with that kind of truth as Christians. We are told truth, and we are faced with, there's one thing to know something, it's another to do it. Do you have people in your life, across the path that you walk, who are beaten, robbed, 
maybe left as half dead. Maybe literally, but at least figuratively. Are those people in your life? And if we're honest, do we walk around them to do the things we have to do in life, even the religious things that we do in life? We live in a world filled with injustice. We know that as Christians because we live in what we call a fallen world, a, fall, a world tainted by sin and, and with corruption and evil that just permeates all of, all of a society and every society. There's no shortage of injustice in our world. And it comes in so many different forms, it's almost sometimes overwhelming. There's the poor, there's the hungry, there's the homeless, there's the oppressed, there's the abused. There's various forms of slavery. There's even environmental issues like pollution. Or if you're, if you're a Christian, you call it creation care, right? We just Christianize it. There's illness. Now maybe even threats of epidemics. There's individual acts of violence and theft and oppression and abuse. There's whole industries, billion-dollar industries, that built on the back of oppression, such as sex trafficking or drugs or pornography. There are also cultural struggles. It's not just individuals, but there's also cultural struggles. Uh, uh, cult, excuse me, cultural structures and systems, such as racism or poverty or inner city schools that struggle because of finances with poor education. And those we can go on and on listing the, Ill, the struggles of the world. The, que the question we want to focus today is not so much are those exist or what we should do. It's how do we as Christians engage these things? How do we engage the injustices of culture and not be overwhelmed, whether personally or as a church, with facing these injustices? Is, is being a Christian involved in justice different than a non-Christian? And if so, what does that look like? Well, when I use the word justice, the problem is a lot of times people have their own meaning of what that means. And there are various meanings. I'm just going to go through some of it. Some of, it, some of this material, uh, particularly the definitions, I've drawn from uh, Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. I've read a number of books on justice and social issues and those kind of things. I think this is one of the best. It's saturated with Scripture. He does a great job uh, getting through the material, and it's, it's thick, but it's, easy to, it's short reading. So that's always a motivator, to be honest. What is justice? Keller talks about justice in a broad way, biblically. If you looked at the words that the Bible uses for justice, it covers different things. One is to treat people equitably, fairly. And I'm not going to go through the numerous, numerous scripture passages that we could list for each of these. He does in the book. It is, justice is, is acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, uh, regardless of their race or social status. Uh, justice is to give people their rights, not just to punish the wrongs, but give them what is right for them to have. It's not just doing no harm, but it's also doing good. Doing good to others is an act of justice. Why, why is this important? Why is it important that we even take time to talk about this? Well, scripturally, a couple reasons. One is, first of all, that uh, justice is part of God's character. Justice is part of God's character. For example, in Deuteronomy 32, he says, God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Part of his character is justice. In Jeremiah, he says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man boast in his might, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, 
that he knows me. And then he goes on and says, what do we know about God? Let's boast in what we know about God. What do we know about God? We know that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. He delights in love and justice. Often in the scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, love and justice go hand in hand. They're always together. Not every single time, but predominantly together. The second reason why this is important, justice, is because everybody, every human being, is created in the image of God. Everybody is created in the image of God. And being made in the image of God means, part of by definition, that is that some of God's characteristics are incorporated to our humanity. Justice is one of them. One of the things that sets us apart from the rest of created order is human beings have a sense of justice within them. You want to test it out? Simply, when somebody does something wrong to you, they rip you off, they hurt you, they say something, it doesn't make a difference. What happens? What's your reaction? What wells up inside us is anger. We say, somebody has to pay for that wrong done. That's an issue of justice. That's natural in our state. It's a right thing to say. So justice must be taken care of. And it puts every single person, every single person, again, regardless of race or social standing or religious background, on the same playing field, on the same level, I should say. Whether they're the victim or the oppressor or the advocate of justice, we're all created in God's image. And this is why the justice is, is a cultural thing that goes beyond even Christianity. It's included in other people. You don't have to be a Christian to be concerned about justice because we're made in the image of God. But there's a third reason why it's important that is more unique to Christianity. And that is that the gospel calls us to a life of generous justice. The gospel itself, what Christ has done for us across, calls us who respond to that to a life of generous justice. And I'm using the word generous justice on purpose, not simply because Keller's book is called Generous Justice, but he makes a great case for here. The issue is not about social justice. I don't like that term for a couple reasons. One is it's vague. What, what is social justice? You supply what you mean by social, I supply mine, it, we don't know. And, um, and the other thing is, I think it has the wrong emphasis. Calling things social justice emphasizes the social, the people out of there. Generous justice emphasizes our action of justice, that it's generous. The givers are, of justice are generous. And it's also the biblical understanding of justice, is that it's generous. And we're going to look briefly at just a passage of Scripture, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a good place to go, huh? since it was top of mind. And would you stand with me as I read this text? I ask you to stand simply out of honor of God's word as we read it um, and hear the word of the Lord for us today. This is a parable of Good Samaritan. It's on Luke 10, and we're going to be reading verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers and stripped, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going by, going down the road, 
that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise the Levite, when they came to the place, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound his wounds and poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Will you pray with me? Lord, we pray that this scripture isn't simply a story, but would be a a memorable uh, model or framework for us to think through how we can be generous, not only in justice, but in our loving our neighbor and knowing who that neighbor is. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your continual working in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you never leave us and forsake us and are constantly working in us and that you are never, ever removing your generous justice from us. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. There's, there's five things in this passage that I want to just highlight. We're not going to spend a lot of time walking through the passage, but there's five things about justice that I think this, this passage shows. And I did, there's a number of passages I could have looked at and I did study. I picked this one primarily because it's easy for us to remember. Most of us can remember the story of the Good Samaritan and remember Jesus' point. The issue was, what do we need to do and to love God and love our neighbor? And the lawyer to self-justify, listen, I'm going to get out of this one. Interesting, he didn't say who's God. He said, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells the story, go and do likewise. So that's the issue of this. So it's easy for us to remember, and that's why I want to leverage it. But there are, there, are five, there are five things that I want us to pay attention here. By the way, there were handouts. There are handouts in the back. If you're uh, there for you to use for discussion, and if you want to take notes, you can do that too. There, there are five things of generous justice. The first thing is that, is that it is personal. Generous justice is personal. The Samaritan got involved in this man's life. He actually stooped down, got off his animal, stooped down. We're told he bound his wounds and he cared for him. He did this at great risk because assuming that the robbers got this guy, they could get him too. But he was very personal. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't hypothetical. Generous justice is impersonal. It's very important for us. And I get personally get challenged by this sometimes because we have to remember that when we're dealing with any form of injustice, we're dealing with people and people's lives. They're not just causes. They're not just projects. They're not just categories of people like homeless or poor. They're people. They're made in the image of God. And therefore, we need to be personal with them and person with them. The second thing we see in this, in this model of generous justice is that it was proactive. It was proactive. The Samaritan saw the need. We're also told that the other two guys who passed by saw the same thing. The text specifically says they saw it, and they went around. This guy stops. He wasn't asked. The text doesn't say that the, the man beat up says, hey, can you give me a hand here? He stopped, and he, on his own initiative and his own risk, went out and helped the man the other, while the others walk away. And generous justice is like that. That's one of the ways it's generous. It takes the initiative to help others even if they don't ask. 
especially if they're unable to ask. It takes the initiative. Um, and, and so it's proactive. Generous justice is always proactive. There's, there's a third thing, that it's impartial. Sorry, Josh, I couldn't do the alliteration thing. And I tried, I tried. Uh, it'll come later, though, okay? So thanks. Um, it's impartial. The Samaritan, what we, we sometimes don't realize when we read this story, to us, the Samaritan's a hero. He's always been the hero because he's in our Bible as the hero. In the, when Jesus told us, he told something that was scandalous. He said an enemy of the lawyer who he's talking to was the one who knew who his neighbor was and the lawyer didn't. It, it, was, it was extremely insulting. It's like it, nowadays, and even in America, we don't have this tension for the most part. There is some, but tension. it's like a Palestinian now telling a, helping a Jew now. It, it just doesn't happen a lot. And so that's the kind of story that they're in. So, but this Samaritan was impartial. He didn't say, hey, listen, this guy would kill me if he was any other way. He, this guy would be out to get me. He wouldn't even do business with me if he, if he, had, if he was well. He, he, did, he set that aside. He was impartial. He treated somebody racially, religiously, and ethnically different than him. I guess racially and ethnically is the same, right? He was different. And, but he was impartial. Generous, generous justice does not classify people based on race or social status or even, even religion. It doesn't classify. Generous justice is impartial. It does not focus on whether or not that person deserves my help. If the person is in need, our desire is how can we be proactive to help them. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm interacting or going driving or interacting, coming out of Safeway, and there's somebody there asking for money, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I try to assess the situation. I, in all honesty, do they deserve it? Do they look like they deserve it? Do they look well-fed, well Are they trying to scam me? I ashamedly sometimes, I think, try, we'll talk about a little later about how to use discernment, but I, I tend to say, do I think they deserve me to hand them two bucks? That's not generous justice. Generous justice is also something else. It's costly. It's costly. It's costly to the giver of justice, to the person, the advocate, to the person doing the work. The Samaritan risked being robbed himself. He, he expended supplies. He gave up his animal for the guy to ride on, so he walked. He gave not only his time, energy, and emotional effort to it, he even covered the guy's expenses when he wasn't around. It costs a lot sometimes to be generous with justice. And generous justice requires us, and we think, and this is part of the resistance we have, is our time, our energy, physical and emotional energy, our money. It's a risk sometimes, and it's most of the time really inconvenient really inconvenient to the other things we want to do. It costs us. And lastly, generous justice, generous justice um, that's an E, is restorative. It's restorative. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> it brings greater health. It doesn't just keep people out of our way. It doesn't just pacify people. It doesn't just perpetuate their situation. 
It actually is something that helps them get better. It might not cure the problem. It might not eliminate the issues in their life. But it will, if we're generous with it, it will move them forward towards greater health. The Samaritan bound the wounds. He provided care for the guy, provided covering. He did that. He restored the man to health or attempted to restore the man to health. Generous justice does what can move people to greater health. It, does, it might not necessarily solve all the problems, but it does provide benefits to them. So those are the five characteristics drawn from this story. And I'm going to say, from other texts we could go to, that these are characteristics of what makes justice, Christian justice, generous. You could say it different ways, but these are the characteristics. But there's also, I want to talk about three levels of generous justice. Three levels of generous justice. The first one is personal. Personal justice. Personal justice. As Christians, our relationship with God is based on his generous justice fulfilled on our behalf through Christ. The gospel. It's personal. Justice is personal. Where do we get this? All over the scripture. The gospel itself is that Christ died for our sins. That is generous justice on a personal level. We respond to the gospel individually in repentance and faith. Paul says in Romans that we were separated from God, but he said that, 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 that and, um, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified by his grace through the redemption that came in Jesus Christ. And that God overlooked sin for a while because he knew that Christ was going to come in the Old Testament. He knew that Christ was going to come and pay for that. And we're told at the end of in Romans 3.26, why did he do this? Why did he wait and then Christ died and then he applies that to as the gospel? It says because it was to show his righteousness, his justice, at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. The gospel tells us, first of all, that God is just. Sin gets punished. The rebellion against God is accounted for because Christ died for those sins. Justice is served. When people sin, something in God's character wells up. His justice says, that's wrong. Somebody's got to pay. That person has to pay. Thus, Romans, we talk, when we looked at Ephesians 2, we are all children of wrath. We're children that God's wrath is pointed at us until Christ absorbed that wrath on our part. Christ absorbed that wrath, and therefore the justice of God is satisfied. So God is not only the one who, uh, his, his, as the judge, his justice is satisfied, he's also the one who satisfied the judge. He paid the penalty. So he is both just and the justifier. That's the paradox of the gospel. God saves us from God. Right? We don't think of it that way, but God, the thing that we most fear, the injustice of eternity, is the wrath of God that we pointed to us. It's his wrath because of justice, but he's satisfied. We, we are saved from God by God for the glory of God. Who's the theme there? I think it's God. Notice that personal justice, the gospel, is personal. It's very personal for Christ. It's proactive, Right? Did did God say, hey, do we invite God down to die for our sins? No. It was impartial. Did he say, I only die for these people? No, For for the world. Is it costly? Oh, yeah. It's eternally costly for Christ. Was it restorative? 
Let's see, eternal life. Pretty good deal. It's restorative. There's another level of, God, of generous justice that we need to be aware of. And that's what I call peer justice. Peer justice. Each other. The justice between us. Particularly us as Christians. Peer justice. As Christians, our relationships with each other needs to be a just relationship because it's based on the generous justice of God in the gospel. For example, the parable of the unforgiving servant. We've talked about this. The guy is forgiven a huge, massive debt by his master, and then he, and then he goes out and finds somebody who owes him just a little bit, and he chokes him and throws him into prison, and the other guys get mad at him, so they bring the first servant back to the master, and the master asks him, should you not have had mercy on the other, your fellow servant as I had on you? That's a rhetorical question. Of course, if God forgives us, if God is so generous to this, shouldn't we also forgive each other? The answer is yes. It's generous justice. Colossians says, as, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive others. Our, our standard and our means of forgiving is because of the gospel, what Christ has done. Even, even justice, like even texts that we don't think are justice. Justice isn't always repaying wrong or reconciling things. Justice, by definition, is doing the right things we should do that people deserve from us. For example, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. That's an issue of generous justice. We don't think of it necessarily that way, but we're, we, he's calling us to give to our wives what they deserve because of our relationship with Christ and the gospel. And so, therefore, it's an issue of me sacrificing and live, loving my wife is an issue, an expression of generous justice. Is pure justice. Our working out our relationship together, forgiveness, and, and those kind of things. Is those things personal? Oh, yeah. If you need to get reconciled with somebody, it's personal. Is it proactive? He says, hey, don't offer your gift at the altar. If you got somebody, something against, somebody has something against you, you go get reconciled. That's what Jesus said. Sermon of the Mount. Is it impartial? No, he doesn't say, well, if they meet these qualifications. Is it costly? Yeah, there's a little humility involved. It's letting go of wrongdoing. Is it restorative? Yeah, it restores relationships the way it should be. And brings greater health, for example, like to a marriage. The third level is public justice. See, Josh, I told you I'd get the alliteration in. Is public justice. What's public justice? That's what we think of as social justice. That's what we think of as social justice. It's, re- it's still, though, is, it's as Christians, in our relationship with non-Christians, is still based on his generous justice to us in the gospel and how we deal with other people. Josh talked about this last week in talking about serving. We let our light shine before others that they may see our good works and what? Glorify God. So somehow, Jesus is saying, people see us do justice, good things, and their conclusion isn't that we're awesome. Their conclusion is, God is great. That's generous justice. That's generous public. It's public. That's his point. People have to see it. A light on a hill, right? The point is public. We talked about it when we talked about hospitality. When you have a banquet, don't just invite your friends and family over. Because they're going to invite you over. No, who did Jesus say to invite? He said to in, invite, invite those who are poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the, and, you, and you will be blessed. Because they aren't the people you normally run the circles with. They're the people who are around you who need that. 
It's public. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a series of parables about his return, the end of this age. He's going to return. And he tells a parable in Matthew 25 where he says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's going to separate humanity into two groups. In this parable, there's two groups, the sheep and the goats. And, and what's the difference between the sheep and the goats according to this parable? When Jesus returns, he's going to say, you're in this side, you're in this side. He's going to look at their lives and he's going to say to them, he's going to say to them, um, for uh, you're coming to my kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the people who he said did that, he said, Lord, when did we do that? When did we do that to you? And he says, when you do it to the least of these, you did it to me. So his picture of the judgment is how we as Christians participated in public generous justice, according to that parable. That shouldn't sit lightly with us. Is generous justice, that's, i got to think of a better phrase because it's stumbling over this. I never actually said it out loud this many times. <laughs> is generous justice, public generous justice, on those letting your light shine so people see you know those things? Is it personal? They're looking at you. They've got to see you. Is it proactive? Is it impartial? Don't, don't qualify the crippled and the lame. Just go get them. They need. Is it costly? Oh, yeah. Is it restorative? It's restorative in two ways public justice according to these passages one is you bless the people that you're actually working with and in most of these texts at the end of the world and in uh in the parable about the banquet he says and you will be blessed because they can't repay you but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just at some day not only is it restorative to the people we're, we're serving but it'll be restorative to humanity when the lord returns those are the three levels of justice. Now, we at Red Sea, am I not real obvious? I hope it is obvious if you've been here for a while. Our church is structured around generous justice. Our church is organized in what we do and how we make decisions is structured around the three levels of generous justice. Now, you guys know it as Pathways. What? How'd you slip pathways into this? Can you put the diagram up? <laughs> Think about this, okay? What is personal justice as I defined it? It's draw to Christ. It's the mission to draw to Christ through those things. That's the top. It's your scripture, prayer, and worship. You don't, the red above that is the word draw to Christ. Okay, it's not there, but we have to get a better graphic that, but it's up there. So we, we have here... The gospel, our identities, right? The black circle. This one here is generous justice of person. The gospel influence, we're servants of Christ, so we do those things because that's how we get closer to Christ. But it's also, our, our, so that's a big part of what we do, primarily at the gathering. This other part here, we have things, the three parts of here, of peacemaking, sharing, and celebrating are parts of what we call developing in community. Is peacemaking another word for pure justice? Yes. Is sharing 
Giving people the things that we have with each other, part of that? Yes. Is celebrating peer justice, celebrating what God's doing in your life and the milestones of your life, giving you what's due? Yes. So that's a big part of what we do, is that is developing community. And so that is peer justice. And this part here, the three parts here, which is the focus of this fall, with hospitality, service, and evangelism. Hospitality, service, event, is that public justice? All three of these, as we deploy to culture, deploy, leave strategically this building and our being together to engage in culture both as me and you as individuals and we as a church, as ambassadors for Christ, is intentionally a demonstration of um, public justice. And it does do these things that we try to do here meet the criteria here? We try to be personal, proactive, impartial, costly, and restorative, even in the worship gathering. We might not say it every week, but behind us, because it's the gospel. So that's behind a lot of what we do. And as followers of Christ, thus the pathways, as followers of Christ, this gives us a matrix, gives us a framework, a model for which we can do personal, peer, and public justice. And we are saying at Red Sea, to be a follower of Christ, you don't get to pick and choose the part that you like. I like red, so I'm going to plant myself on red. No, it's a package deal to be a follower of Christ. Therefore, for us to be mature in Christ, for us to go forward as individuals, as home communities, as churches, as families, there needs to be a balance of, of personal justice and peer justice and public justice. The danger of many churches, and this is a generic statement, so take it for what it's worth, the danger of many churches is they find it easier to park themselves someplace. And they build their structures and their ministries and what they're trying to do in a particular area. You know some of these churches that all they do is these fancy, you come to us and we'll tell you about Jesus, that that's all we do. I'm being a little facetious. Others that are good old families, try to get part of that family. It's a hard thing to do. And there's others who base it, based on a lot of what they do, and we're going to go out there and change the world. Well, if, if it gets in the way to tell people about Jesus, we won't do that. Being a little facetious. It's harder for us, and this is not meant to blow our horn, or anything, and we're just being honest. It's harder for us to have a balanced ministry and calling to be followers of Christ that consider all three aspects of justice. And that balance of these levels is what we try to maintain. Pathways is simply the avenue to do it. This guides us, by the way, this guides us as a church in our involvement, particularly in public justice. Right? It should. This, this whole package, all three levels should guide us. As we as elders, as you, come to us and say, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Great, you should do that. We want to hear about it. We want people to take initiative. But when we do, our filter for deciding what we're going to spend our time, what we're going to do this with, has to be an avenue that we can do the whole thing. What I mean by that is, can we name Christ? If it's, a minute, if it's an opportunity in the world that we can't say we're Christians or can't even name Christ, we probably will not be involved. We're not saying they're not doing good work. They're helping the homeless. They're feeding the poor. They're dealing with sex trafficking. Awesome. But we cannot deny Christ and the generosity of the gospel. 
We also want the people who are involved. Can they draw closer together in the peer justice? And obviously you want to be there. So those are the filters of what we're going to be involved with. Those are the filters of what we are going to endorse opportunities. And if you come to us and say, hey, and we get this periodically, we get it in the emails a lot. I'm coming through town, and this is my cause. Can we, can we come to your church and tell everybody about our cause and sign, sign your church up? This is how we make a decision, yes or no. Okay? It's important you knew that. One of the things to understand as we talk about generous justice, public justice, is we're a church. Thank you, Royce, for that enlightenment. But as a church, we need to do what God has called a church to do and what only a church can do. That is our commission. That is our mission. Therefore, that's what we're going to focus on. We're not saying that other people can't do good things out in the world. They can drill wells. They can feed people. They can, you fill in the blank. They can. But as a church, we must include this whole thing because that's what God called us to do. Um, I'm going to move on. I had a quote. You have to... Anyways. Are we obligated to help everybody all the time in every possible situation? Okay, we got a, you got a yes over here. Okay, good for you. Notice, yes, over here, okay. Um, how do we start? How do, how do we decide where we're going to go public with our justice as individuals, as families, as a home community, as a church? Two guidelines. First of all, there's the principle of proximity. Proximity. What do I mean by that? Simply this. We should help those that we're already connected with or who we connect with as we do life. The, the Samaritan didn't go out of his way looking for somebody. He was on his journey, and whoa, there he was. And he helped him. The principle of proximity. Um, and um, we are told repeatedly in Scripture to help those closest to you first. And, and widows and orphans and members of the body of Christ first before we go out. It's one thing, it's, it's, it, to, to pass by people in dire need to help other people in dire need is a, is a hypocrisy in Scripture. I'm, I'm using that word maybe not accurately. For example, in Timothy he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The principle of proximity, if you want to know where do I begin helping people, start with the people you already know. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, the other students, people relationally, spiritually, and geographically close to you. That's where we begin. That is one reason why, as, as a church, if we're going to make decisions on how to serve people in a public justice, we're going to begin in St. John's. Then we'll move out. We're not saying we'll never do something out. We're going to begin in St. John's. The second principle is the principle of need. Principle of need. And that is simply, we help those with the greatest need, especially those who are unable to help themselves. We help those in the greatest need, especially those who help themselves. Um, he, went, he went, and the man was beat up and, as half dead. Um, he couldn't help himself. Uh, I think the implication of half dead was he's on his way to being whole dead. James, James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
religion that's really worth its weight takes care of orphans and widows because they're in need and have trouble helping themselves. There is a discernment here. We're not going to spend time on it, but there's a discernment here. There are those, but what if? How do you determine if there's need? There are warnings in Scripture to those who are, uh, are lazy, those who are evil, who take advantage of that. Paul even says that he warned them, that if a, he gave them a church to command that if, a, if someone's not willing to work, they shouldn't eat. There is a degree where people need to put an effort into things, but in general, we help those in need. So quick observations, and then we're going to wrap up. Observations, generous justice is for both the victims and the oppressors. The gospel is both for the people who are victims and the perpetuators of injustice. Paul, Paul says, I mean, Jesus said, we are to love our enemies, not just those who love us. We're to love our enemies. That's generous to those who are oppressing. I know of a pastor in the city who um, a man came into his church uh, that was needed help in his life. I'm trying to be concise. And it turns out this man is an owner of numerous strip clubs in the city. And, and so the pastor interacted with him, found that out, and the, the guy was like, yeah, you probably don't want to deal with me anymore, right? And he goes, no, no, I'll, I'll, we'll talk. And uh, in fact, the pastor and his wife repeatedly invited this man to their house for dinner, and they'd eat dinner, and they talk about the gospel. They talk about life. They'd say, hey, maybe you should get out of the strip club business. And the guy's like, you know, you know what? I, first of all, it's a business. I own a ton of debt, so I can't just stop it. Secondly, if I sold the businesses, who's going to buy a strip club? The people who open a strip club. So we're, I'm just perpetuating it. And if, even if I shut down all the strip clubs, the girls, the strippers, are going to go someplace else. So all I'm done is shut my business down. So this pastor and his wife and that strip club owner, who to my knowledge is still not a Christian, started inviting the strippers over to their house for dinner, strippers and their kids, to dinner to talk about how can we get the strippers the gospel to their lives so to take away that. So in my point being, this pastor is ministering to the oppressor, the strip club owner, and the oppressed, the strippers, and he's trying to bring the same gospel to them to reconcile the relationship, to, to solve the problem for both. It's not an easy one. Both victims and oppressors. Social justice is popular, but personal justice, personal morality is avoided. In our culture, it's easy to talk about, we need to stop sex trafficking. We need to deal with the homeless. We need to deal with those problems out there, those things out there. It's a whole different conversation for to say, you know what, we need to deal with justice in your life. It's one thing for people to be against sex trafficking, and then they go home and watch pornography, or they're sexually active outside of marriage. The scripture does call that hypocrisy. We can't say we're against the cause and be part of the problem, and be part of it. So those are just two, two observations. Uh, two cautions. A popularity and visibility does not make something more worth doing. There are popular causes. There's things that get big press. And there are things that people see. And because of the news coverage, it seems this is the thing to do. And a lot of the things that are very right in front of us get overlooked because this doesn't get the press time. It doesn't get the attention of other people. And yet Jesus said that when you give to the needy, Give to them and worry about your father rewarding you, not public attention. said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I was listening to another a pastor who was sharing that he's a pastor of a large, predominantly white, affluent church in his city. They decided they were going to help in social, uh, uh, 
public justice, and they picked a school, and they went to that school, and they're going to have work days for the school. So hundreds of people showed out for that, that work day, and they're doing stuff around it, which is a good thing, by the way, helping the school out in, in, a, in a poorer inner-city part of town. And they got there, and they're having their work day, and uh, a, a, an African-American pastor came up to talk to this pastor. They chatted for a while, and the African-American pastor said, you know, it's interesting that you guys come here for one day to spread bark dust, and you get the media, the news, show up and are going to run a story in the news. We've been working in this school for 20 years, and nobody's ever been here. It's not the popularity. It's the, it's the effect in people's lives, and there's many people who are going to do these things, and publicly nobody will ever know until the Lord returns. Be careful that you don't have the attitude that my cause should be everybody else's cause. We get this a lot. I said, we have this need. Why doesn't everybody sign up? Why isn't everybody doing this? If the Lord lays something on your heart, knock yourself out. But don't assume that it's everybody else's cause too. Have some patience. Another thing is, we think we need to redeem culture. There's a, there's a, even in Christian circles, that we are, our movement, what we're hearing about as a church is we're going to transform culture. We're going to redeem culture. We can't. Christ redeems. We don't. We can't save the world because the world is not ours to save. Christ saves the world. Let's keep our eye on who the Savior is. Not us. Christ. And he said that someday he'll return and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and everything will be completely different and there will be no crying, there will be no death, there will be no mourning, there will be no more pain, no more illness because of what he did, not because we had some great program that took care of all those problems. Our answer is the gospel. And that's what he's called us to do. Okay. I'm going to do this real quick. Don't feel any pressure. Anybody have any questions? Questions, comments, or concerns? Really, does anybody else have a question? Oh, wait, okay. Go ahead, Bill. How does God benefit? Uh, My hesitation is the word. The question is, how does God benefit from generous justice, okay? And I think Josh emphasized this this last week. And whether it's this justice or this justice or this justice, the result to God is God is given the glory because it is because of his. We, God saves us from God, and, he, and he, um, the, the generosity of the gospel is what restores us eternally to him. It restores us to each other for eternally. It's what's going to make a difference in the world. So when we give it, we let our light shine before people, the point is, when they see it, they don't go, hey, awesome, Royce, good job. Their conclusion should be, God is awesome, God is great. But we would want them to say, Christ is awesome, Christ is great. So it's, it, God, is, God benefits from that. He will forever get glory because of justice. And it will be, for eternity, justice will be acted out because it's part of who God is. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Somebody else? Did you really have one? Yeah. Oh, okay, go ahead. Give me a slow pitch. So, so th- it's not going to be a slow pitch. This, so let's say that take those two principles, personal proximity and principle of peace. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll hypothetical situation here. Let's 
to say that I just love cats. Like, <laughs> I am losing sleep at night of all the cats in my city that are starving to death. And I need to put more of my money into making sure those cats are at a home. They're in need, right? It's proximity. It's Portland. We really love animals. At the same time, in a continent, you know, a thousand miles away, there's children starving to death. And I don't do anything about that. Do you think it's wrong for me to spend all my money feeding cats while letting children starve to death? Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with two things. You asked me do I think it's wrong? <laughs> so so <laughs> yeah. I love cats. They taste like chicken. Okay. Um, okay. There, 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 is, there is justice within the creation. I want to segue this, and I've got to remember your exact question. First of all, creation is part of justice. Pollution, it does matter. Environmentally, we are, given, we are stewards of the earth. I was being a little facetious. Creation care, it's truly true. We, we should care about this. God, it, the creation, we're told, groans for the time that Christ will return and restore creation to the way it was. Actually, it's going to be better than it was. It'll be a new earth. So, yes, we need to take care of that. Do we, I think we go back here to the priorities of is taking care of those cats more important, even if it's far away? Are the, the cats are not created in the image of God. Sorry, but they're not. And dare I say, neither are dogs. Okay? Oh, now I've done it. Now I've done it. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll edit this from the message. It's okay. It, 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 won't, it won't go on the recording. They're not created in the image of God. They are, they are not treated biblically the same way. So to say, uh, if I have a choice of proximity and need between somebody in greater need and the proximity, that's a judgment call. But yes, I would obviously say it's better to say, even if they're across town. This, this guideline is say, where do I get started? The danger is, for a lot of people, and I want to be careful here, it's easier for us to send a check far away than to do this. Okay? It's easier for us to do something like that and feel self-righteous. Look at me, I did something great. It's harder to do this right where we live, and right where we need. And, I, and I'm sorry, but cats don't register. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Or come to our neighborhood and we can watch it yeah, together. Just go yeah, yeah. And not far from your place. Not far from your place, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Great question, though, by the way. And th- this is part of the hardness of justice is it's easy for me to get, here's, here's your checklist. Check, 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 check. One of the principles I didn't have time, believe it or not, I didn't have time to include is the principle... I edited it this morning. <laughs> I thought it might go a little long. So it's probably unlikely that it'll happen, but anyways. 
the principle of community. You know how you should help others? With the help of others. Scripturally, to look, and we're doing this together. There's times when you need to pony up by yourself, hand somebody some money or do something, but the reality is if we do it in community, particularly for us, home community, that's this part of the justice. When we, and that's why this part overlaps with this part, because as we move together out here, both as individuals together as home communities, or as whatever, maybe a group of people working on the same cause, we have the checks and balances. We have each other covering. A hard part is to teach our kids generous justice. There, there can be a risk to that. Josh has talked about the risk of putting their kids in public school versus home educating them. There is a risk in a, in a number of different ways. They felt it was worth taking that risk, okay? Um, there are times when we want to expose our kids to tactfully, to age-appropriate way, to some of the trauma of the world, okay? So they understand this is a bad, evil place, but we have an answer, and it's called the gospel. And so there is a discernment of when do I risk, when do I don't, when do we move across from a house that, or be in a neighborhood that's risk. More and more, I think, if Christians did it together, the risk is reduced. I was re- listening, I think Keller talks about this in the book, a guy who moved into a prim- primarily African-American neighborhood in Baltimore when he moved in, he was the only white guy in the, in the neighborhood. The, the drug dealers thought he was a cop, and the cops thought he was a drug dealer. Why else would you move in that neighborhood? So he was in a, a bad place for quite a few years. But he and his family risked, and they went out, and the church really exp- I was going to use the word exploded. That's not the right word. Uh, <laughs> impacted the community in a great way. Eventually, they did that. So I think that is something that's part of the discernment. I didn't get into a discernment of when do you help somebody who really could help themselves, and the problem is they're really lazy or in sin. There is a discernment there, but that's not the point of that. So I don't know if I'm being helpful or not. Community is the answer. Anything else? Okay. If you have other questions, email them to josh at, no, <laughs> no, uh, info at redseachurch.org. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, info at redseachurch.org. We get them, and we, we want to wrestle with this with you. This is an overview, okay? People write books about this stuff, so it's obviously a lot more to say. But we want it to be specific to you, especially as we apply it here. So, like, that was a great question. How do we engage our family? The cat one, not so much, okay? <laughs> I want to finish with reading the verse. Micah 6.8. He said, He's, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk with God, pathways, requires that we do justice motivated by merciful love. That's what generous justice is. And as we come up now to communion and we celebrate the Lord's breaking up his body and his blood shed for us, I want us to remember and celebrate God's generous justice to us through Christ's death and resurrection. If you have responded to the gospel and repentance of faith, we invite you as we begin our time of wor- continue with our time of worship, just as we sing, to take you up to the Lord's Supper and remember how generous God's justice was for you because of the cross. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your generosity. We thank you that you are um, increasingly making us aware of how generous you are and how important that is to us. 
I do pray, Lord, that you help us to make these things not simply ideas um, and uh, messages, but, but um, we would hear the words, hear the truth of the gospel, and we would hear your words to that self-justifying lawyer, go and do likewise. And Lord, we acknowledge our need for your strength, your need, our need for your patience, our need for your insight so that we can do so in a way that brings glory to you. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.